How many of you remember the uh, old Tombstone commercials, Tombstone Pizza commercials? What do you want on your What do you want on your tombstone? Personally, I'm a sausage and mushroom kind of guy, uh, but uh, that's neither here nor there. And they don't make tombstones with sausage and mushroom. And, and I don't really like them anyway. It's like cardboard with a little bit of sauce and a little bit of nasty cheese. Anyway, I digress. I had a college professor, a Bible college professor, who on his tombstone, he wanted these words. A long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. It is based on the title of a book by a man named Eugene Peterson. And Peterson is the guy, you may recognize his name, uh, as the guy who wrote uh, the paraphrase of the Bible, The Message. Uh, any of you ever read The Message or have a copy of The Message? I've, I've read it, um, and uh, it's really good for like devotional reading, uh, for reading it in the Bible as kind of in story form. Uh, as far as like scholarly study, it's not very uh, helpful when it comes to scholarly studies. But when it comes to uh, devotional reading, it's a great help. Uh, to get to the meaning of what the, the scriptures say uh, and in reading uh, for devotional purposes. Um, but Peterson wrote this book about discipleship called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. He says, in this world that we live in, uh, we live in a world of instant coffee and instant messaging and uh, instant media and microwave spirituality and microwave discipleship. Uh, that everything we want is, is here and now. We want it right now. And I, I want to microwave my faith. I want to microwave my walk with Jesus. I, wanna, uh, I want instant results. I want to know uh, everything there is to know right now. You know, you figure like this device in my pocket. I mean, I, can, I have the totality of human knowledge at, available at my fingertips just by typing in a, you know, just type in a few words and I can Google anything um, on my phone. And it's just unreal the, the amount of instant gratification we have in this world. Spirituality or discipleship, you can't be microwaved. Your walk with Jesus isn't like an instant message. It's not like a text message. You can't have it right now, right here, all the time. Discipleship is exactly what these words say. Following Jesus is a long obedience in the same direction. I think about uh, when it comes to discipleship, when it comes to following Jesus, I think about it kind of like a race. Uh, the Bible talks about our, our journey of, of faith as a race. I believe everybody is on a journey of faith. Every single one of us, everybody on earth is on a journey of faith. Even those who say, well, I have no faith. It takes a lot of faith to say that you have no faith. Right? It takes a lot of faith to say, I don't believe. It takes a lot of faith to say, I, I, I don't think that there's anything out there. That takes a lot of faith. It, it takes a lot of faith to say, Jesus is not who he said he was. It takes a lot of faith to say that, that God does not exist. It takes a lot of faith to say that. Because if you're wrong, you've got a whole host of problems. I believe everybody's on a journey of faith. Uh, you may be at the point in your journey of faith where you're like just investigating. You're, you're thinking about going on a journey of faith. You're thinking about investigating the, 
the claims of Christianity. Maybe you're here today and you've thought, ah, you know, I'm, I'm learning about faith and I'm, I'm, I'm starting to grow in my faith and, and I'm, I'm getting ready to make some decisions. I'm getting ready to make some choices, uh, but I'm still learning about it. I'm just investigating faith right now. That's a great place to be. And you're in the right place if you want to investigate faith. This is a very safe place. It's a safe place to ask questions, a safe place to investigate the claims of Christianity. We want you to know you're welcome here and you're welcome to ask questions. You're welcome to uh, uh, express doubts, express fears. Uh, Wherever you are on your journey of faith, you're welcome here. And this is a great place to investigate faith. So maybe you're there. Maybe you're just investigating. Or maybe you're like at the starting line. You're ready to make that first step of faith. You're ready to take that next step. And you're saying, okay, I think I'm ready to, to be baptized or I'm ready to, to join the church. Um, I'm ready to put my faith and trust in Jesus. I, I've never done that before. I've never accepted his offer of salvation by grace through faith expressed in baptism. So maybe you're ready to do that. You're ready to take that step of faith. And I want to encourage you that if you're ready to take that step of faith, that you, we need to have a conversation. We need to talk about that. Uh, or maybe you need to attend our, our next membership class coming up a week from Wednesday, uh, the uh, 29th. Uh, we'd love to have you join us for that class as we talk about matters of faith and, and what our church believes and, and as we talk about uh, things like baptism and grace and things like that. We would love for you to join us for that. You can sign up for that this morning. Uh, so maybe you're there. Maybe that's your step of faith that you're ready to take. You're at that point in your journey that you're ready to start a journey of faith. Um, that's a great place to be. Or maybe you're like me. Maybe you're well along in your journey of faith. I've been a Christian for 33, almost 34 years now. And, and I got baptized when I was 8 years old. And my journey of faith started there at the first Christian church in Crown Point. And, and, and my journey of faith has, has been a, it's been a, a, a hopefully, a, a long obedience in the same direction. That I'm going in the same direction the whole time. Now, Even though I'm going in the same direction, sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back. Sometimes it's three steps forward, ten steps back. You know what I'm talking about, right? We've been there. But I'm still facing the same way. I'm still going the same direction. That sometimes it's two steps forward, sometimes it's three steps back. But I'm still going. I'm still facing the same way. I'm still going the same direction. But there's a part of me, and maybe there's a part of you, that says, I just don't know if I'm doing enough. I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I'm behaving enough. I don't know if I'm, I'm learning enough. I don't know if I'm growing enough. And it starts to make us doubt our salvation. It starts to make us question our salvation. We'll ask questions like, am, am I really saved? Or... Or is God going to give up on me? How many of you ever felt like God's going to give up on you? Anybody? It's like I, I've, I've, I've gotten so far off course that I just feel like God could give up on me. He won't, by the way. He won't. When we get to that point, we, we really start to worry about salvation and we worry about our faith and we worry... It, it, Will God give up on me? Will God leave me? Will God abandon me? Will God forsake me? Will God uh, take away um, my salvation? And we get worried. We get nervous about that. We get scared about that. And I think it's a natural thing to be scared and, and to say, I, I don't know that I'm measuring up. I don't know that I'm good enough. I've got too many sins. I've got too many uh, struggles. I've got 
too many weaknesses. I give in to temptation too much. And we, we feel this pressure on ourselves. Uh, we feel this real pressure and this real weight of fear and this real weight of worry. And we just don't know if we measure up. And we just worry about whether or not, well, let's face it, whether or not we're going to go to heaven. It's a scary thought. Will God give up on me? There's a passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today that upon first glance, upon reading it, it will probably not comfort you very much. But when we get deeper into it and into the meaning of what the author of Hebrews was saying, I think you'll find that, that there's a, a, a great deal of comfort in this passage today. Now, the, the thing is about this passage of Scripture is that the surrounding context is so vitally important. There are three verses right in the middle of today's passage that we look at and we go, now wait a minute, what does this mean? And we want to focus all of our energy on these three verses. When in reality, the passage is much larger. And we need to look at the larger passage in order to understand the context of what is being said in verses 4 through 6 of Hebrews chapter 6. But see, what we want to do is we want to look at 4 through 6. We want to just say Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 says this, and it makes me scared. There's no reason to be scared. Okay? Uh, we're going to get to the bottom of this. We're going to get there together. And I think it's so important that we understand the surrounding context, not just of Hebrews 5 and 6, but of the entire Bible, of all of Scripture. We need to understand the surrounding context so that we can make sense of this small little passage. Now, if you've got your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 11. And we're going to go through chapter 6, verse 12 today. We've been studying the book of Hebrews on Sunday mornings in a, in a series called Jesus is Greater. And we're learning that Jesus is greater than everything and everyone in Hebrew, uh, in Jewish history. That Jesus is supreme. That Jesus is greater. And he deserves the first and foremost place in our lives. One of the things that I've really learned about the book of Hebrews as we've been going through this study is that the book of Hebrews is not necessarily a book that is encouraging us to believe in Jesus as much as it is a book that is encouraging us to be faithful to Jesus. Now there is a difference. There is a difference between believing in Jesus and being faithful to Jesus. To believe in Jesus means that you believe that he existed means that you believe it may mean that you believe that he's the son of god it may mean that you believe that he died for your sins but being faithful to jesus means that you are trusting him for salvation you are trusting him as your savior you are following him as your lord this is the difference between believing in here you go you want to know how i know the believing in jesus uh, is different than following jesus i look at the demons of the new testament in in the gospels we read stories about how jesus went to cast out demons specifically one where he cast them into a group of pigs and the pigs all went remember the story okay they all don't did a not really a, a a swan dive but more like a a swine dive uh into the uh into the water um but the, the what do the demons say to jesus what do you want with us son of god the demons, 
the book of James tells us, even believe that God is one. The demons believe in God and they shudder. They tremble. The demons believed that Jesus was the Son of God. What do you want with the Son of God? They said. They believed that Jesus was the Son of God. They did not trust Jesus. They did not follow Jesus. They rebelled against Jesus. So, to me, the message of the book of Hebrews is about faithfulness. It is about being faithful to Christ, not just believing in Him. And I think that's an important distinction that we need to understand for our lives today when it comes to how we live. Are we being faithful to Jesus, or are we merely giving Him lip service? I'm going to let that set for just a minute. Now, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 5 and 6 as we read together. Uh, we're going to take little bits, of, bits and pieces of the uh, passage here, and then we're going to talk about what each one means. So turn to Hebrews 5, starting at verse 11. We have much to say about this. And now what he's saying there about this is the idea that Jesus is a priest uh, in the line of Melchizedek, which we talked about last week, and we're going to talk about again real soon. Not today, but uh, in the next couple of weeks. So we have, much to, uh, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The author of Hebrews is telling his audience, these Jewish Christians, these are Jews who became Christians, and he is telling them, you all are acting like grade school kids. You have uh, completely, uh, are, are infants, you are babies. You should be craving solid food, you should be eating meat, and yet you're still uh, nursing on milk. This is not how it should be. You guys have been Christians long enough. You have been followers of Jesus long enough. You should have left the elementary teachings a long time ago. You should be out of elementary school. You should be in the upper grades now. You shouldn't be, uh, we shouldn't be having to lay foundations of faith. You all should know what's really going on. Yet they did not. They should have been teaching one another. They should have been sharing their faith with one another. They should have been learning from one another but they needed people to teach them. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. He says, let us leave these elementary teachings. Let's get out of first grade. Let's get out of kindergarten. And let's keep going. Let's mature in our faith. Let's grow up in our faith. We need maturity not immaturity. We need spiritual growth, not spiritual stagnation. We need to leave elementary school and get to the upper grades. We're not going to lay these foundations again. He said we need to, uh, they, they were basically, they had dug up the foundation of their faith and now they needed it to be laid again. And he's talking about just simple things like faith in God. Repentance from acts that lead to death. Uh, acts that lead to death. Uh, sins of unbelief. 
is what he's talking about. If you remember for the past few weeks in the book of Hebrews, we've talked about unbelief uh, and how the Israelites uh, in the Old Testament were not allowed to enter into the promised land because of their unbelief. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because they did not believe. And so they were not allowed into the promised land. They were disqualified. So he says, we're not going to lay, again, the foundations of belief and repentance or instruction about baptisms. And the Greek word there is plural, baptisms. And it's more than just the baptism that we have uh, for the forgiveness of sins, as it says in Acts 2.38. But rather, it is uh, baptisms that were ceremonial washings that the Jews did. It was uh, John's baptism of repentance uh, that we read about in the Gospel of John, that John the Baptist was baptizing people for repentance. We're not going to talk about baptisms. We're not going to talk about the laying on of hands. And what he means by that is uh, those who received John's baptism in the book of Acts had hands laid on them to receive the Holy Spirit. Or they, uh, when they sent out people to do ministry, they would lay their hands on them. He said, we don't need to talk about those things. We don't need to talk about uh, the resurrection of the dead and that everyone will rise. We don't need to talk about eternal judgment, that everyone will stand before God and be judged one day. We don't need to talk about these things. This is the elementary stuff. You should remember all this. You should know all this you should be living all this out but you're not you're spiritually immature and you're not growing in your faith and we have to lay these foundations all over again the author of hebrews is frustrated with the unbelief and the immaturity of the jewish christians who were abandoning their faith they were being tempted to abandon their faith and return to judaism and he's saying that it doesn't matter what's coming, persecution or peer pressure, whatever you're facing, don't abandon your faith. Don't commit apostasy, but instead remain faithful to Jesus. And this is what he says about that in verses 4 through 6. He says, it is impossible. Now, I hear a word like impossible, and it, it makes me take notice. It makes me stand up and go, what's impossible? He says, it is impossible. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance, because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. It is impossible for Christians, born-again believers, who have tasted the heavenly gift who have uh, enjoyed the fellowship of the saints who have had the holy spirit within them uh, this is not just somebody who's you know comes to church every once in a while or somebody who is uh, kind of a marginal christian he's talking about real christians here it is impossible for them that if they fall away from their faith it is impossible to bring them back to repentance you may hear something like that and go wait what what does that word fall away mean? That's what I want to know. I mean, that's my question. It's like, okay, what, is, what do we mean by falling away? Is it doubting? I hope not. Because I have doubts. You all have doubts? I have doubts. I, I don't think it's doubting. And here's why. Because Thomas, Jesus' disciple, what do we call him? Doubting Thomas. He doubted. He had doubts. And yet he was restored. Right? Is it backsliding? Is it like backsliding into sin? Is it like, you know, falling into sin? I don't think so. Because I, th I look at the Apostle Peter, who backslid into denial. 
And yet he was restored. No, I think it's more along the lines of Judas. One who was so hard-hearted that he betrayed Jesus into the hands of sinners. And he is the one who originally caused Jesus to be crucified. He is the one whose heart was so hard that he betrayed the Lord. You see, this idea of falling away, the Greek word literally means to fall alongside of. That means you're walking with Jesus and then you just fall away. You just fall. This idea of falling away is not just the sins and struggles and weaknesses that we have on a regular basis that we're all familiar with. You know your stuff. I know mine. We know our own sinfulness. It's not that. It is more of a complete and all-out renunciation of your faith in Jesus Christ. It is saying, I used to believe it. I don't believe it anymore. I'm done with it. I'm out of here. I'm gone. Now, the question we may ask then is, but wait a minute. What if somebody does that? What if somebody renounces their faith in Christ and then then decides, you know what, I was wrong. I made a mistake. I I shouldn't have done that. Is it impossible for them to be brought back? Have they lost salvation for all eternity? The, the NIV does a pretty bad job of, of translating part of this. And, and I read in a commentary from College Press this, um, where it says uh, to be brought back to repentance because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. This is what one commentator said. He says, we could read the text as saying, so long as they are crucifying and subjecting, which would admit the ultimate possibility of restoration should a person ever decide to stop these activities and repent. That this idea in the Greek language of falling away is not necessarily a one-time deal, just a a fell away. It is more of a consistent, constant falling away. It is the idea of, I am, it's an active participle. And so it's this idea that is a continuous falling away. So it's not like a, I did this one time and now I'm doomed for all eternity. It is a hard-hearted falling away that, results in unbelief and unfaithfulness. It is a hard-hearted falling away that there is no repentance, no sign of repentance, no even desire for repentance. That is the kind of falling away to which the author of Hebrews is is referring. Uh, it, I, I studied about six different commentaries this week, and that was, that was the one that, that uh, the argument in the Greek made the most sense to me. And so I really think that that's what the author of Hebrews is getting at, that this idea of of a constant falling away, that it is impossible for them if they desire not to repent, if there is no desire for repentance, if there is no desire for restoration, it is impossible for them to be restored. I don't believe necessarily in a once saved, always saved idea. I don't believe that... Uh, I I believe that if you choose to walk away from Jesus, if you choose to say, I don't believe it anymore, I don't want it anymore, I I renounce my faith, if you do that, then I believe that you are in jeopardy of losing your salvation. But I also believe that if you come to your senses and say, I really, really messed up, I believe that, I look at the story of like the prodigal son. I look at the story of Peter coming up to Jesus and saying, how many times should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Jesus says, no, I tell you, 70 times seven times. That if God expects that kind of forgiveness out of me for my brother, 
what kind of forgiveness does he have for me who has sinned way more than 490 times? I believe that, that the book of Hebrews is a call to faithfulness to Christ. It is not necessarily a warning of, of, uh, to make you terrified. It is not a, a message to make you fearful. I mean, we do fear God and we, we should revere God and we should have respect for God and we should be in awe of God. But I don't think we're supposed to be terrified of God. I mean, God is awesome. God is powerful. God is amazing. And he could wipe us all out just like that. But he, by his grace, he chooses not to. And, and so I believe that what the author of Hebrews is telling us is that we need to be faithful to Jesus our whole lives. To remain faithful to him until death. We, we've seen that so far. Let's, let's look at verse 7 through the end of the, the passage. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. I believe that Jesus wants faithful followers, not fearful failures. Jesus wants faithful followers, not fearful failures. For when we are terrified of losing our salvation, we are ineffective in spreading the gospel. We are ineffective in sharing the gospel when I am so self-centered and selfish and self-absorbed about my own salvation that I can't go out and share the gospel with anybody else. When I can't get out there and tell other people about Jesus, I'm a fearful failure rather than a faithful follower. So what does it mean to look like a faithful follower. What does it mean to be a faithful follower of Jesus? I want to talk to my teenagers for just a second. There's some teenagers in the room. I'm not even going to look at you right now. I'm just going to let you just, you know, squirm a little bit. No, for my teenagers in the room, it means that you need to be a faithful follower of Jesus at school. School starts in less than a month. Sorry, kids. Sorry to ruin your day. Dude, Pastor Sean totally ruined my day. Um, School starts in less than a month. (laughs) Sorry, parents, to give you false hope it's still a month away um but when it comes to being a teenager at school your friends are going to try and get you to turn away from jesus you're going to face peer pressure you're going to be pressured to not say anything when your friends are making fun of christians when your friends are making fun of you you may think i don't want to be made fun of i don't want to be bullied for my faith i don't want to be i don't want that peer pressure for my faith i'm just going to stay quiet Don't stay silent. Trust in Jesus. Follow him faithfully. Or maybe when you're at home, teenagers, maybe you're in a home where your parents don't believe in Jesus. Or maybe you're in a home full of fighting and and uh, you're being bullied at home. Don't give up on your faith in Jesus. Follow him. Okay? For those of us who are not teenagers... Maybe teenagers at heart, but a little bit older. 
We need to be faithful followers of Jesus at work. That means we work with integrity. It means we represent Jesus well when we're at work or, or when we're at home. We need to be the kinds of parents who are laying a foundation of faith for our children. We need to be reading our Bibles with our kids. We need to be praying with our kids. I need to do a better job of reading my Bible with my son. I need to lay that foundation. Guys, we need to be the leaders in our homes. Wives, you need to be the encouragers of faith in your homes. We need to lay foundations of faith for our children in our homes. That is what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus, to lay those foundations of faith. That's what we're called to do. And when we do that, when we are faithful to Jesus unto death, we have nothing to worry about. For it is God's grace that saves us and God's grace that keeps us saved. It is the free gift that He gives to us. That if we will remain faithful to Him, He is faithful to us. We don't have to be fearful failures because we can be faithful followers. And that is my desire for myself and for you and your journey of faith and my journey of faith, that we would be faithful followers each day of our lives.